so my generic knowledge up until getting Piper of dog behavior and dog body language was like awful. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of vets in the UK, let alone like owners in the UK. I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaiser van Overbeek, and on this podcast we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Welcome everybody to another interview episode of Rough Around the Edges. And for once, it was very easy to schedule a time because we're only one hour apart time zone wise. And by we, I mean Grace and I, and Grace is in Bristol and the UK. I'm going to be talking to her about her dog, Piper. And not just that, because Grace is also a veterinarian. And so I am going to assume, and I kind of already know a little bit about it, um, that her experiences with Piper also influence how she looks at things as a vet. So I'm just really looking forward to this because I think a lot of aspects are going to get discussed. First, though, I'm going to just like hand over the mic to Grace and ask her to introduce herself and her dog and basically tell us a little bit about her journey so far. Oh, yeah hi <laughs> um yeah well, grace um yeah we've had piper for almost a year now so we got her in october 2021 um she's a rescue dog so she was roughly between 15 18 months um when we got her um kind of not really didn't really know like too much about her previous history and um, apart from her previous family had got her from uh Romania when she was puppy um and then they had her for roughly a year um and then they gave her up to the rescue um and then yeah she has various um behavioral kind of things that started to come out I guess roughly sort of three four months after we'd had her so after she sort of I guess spent the initial time kind of settling in so sort of around kind of Christmas time um so she's not very good with having people in the house she like guards the house quite badly um she can um be well she is quite anxious generally um and then that extended to her being um like reactive to like people and things um more so on lead than off lead um and then yeah we got um the help of a registered behaviorist um in sort of january february time this year um and then yeah we've been working with her kind of since then um we got signed off the beginning of this month um and yeah she's made a lot of progress so she's not as well she's still like reactive but she's not as bad um so especially with like strangers and things on walks like 
instead of it being like a daily thing that would happen um it's maybe like i don't know like once a fortnight like if that that she'll really like kind of react to something um her visitor issues are like harder to work on because it's more of a we don't have people over like all the time so it's more sporadic with her training and things but um my partner his brother just came over for the weekend and he left like an hour ago and she's coped surprisingly well um because she'd be really bad like lungy barky like she's never like bitten anyone um and our behaviorist was like her risk of biting someone is actually quite low because of the behaviors that she was like displaying but like she's scary she's a german shepherd cross so she's got like proper big dog scary bark um but yeah she's doing very well we're all very proud of her and it's very cute she makes me feel a warm and fuzzy inside (laughs) and i'm like oh you've come so far it's so cute i'm always like i'm so proud of you i hope you know that and i'm like she's just looking at me like what are you doing mom like why are you being a little weirdo But I love that because, you know, it's hard in the beginning when you get a dog and then they turn out to be, and then it's, I'm always a bit wary of labels, um, but Mm. reactive or anxious or or whatever than the behaviors that they're displaying. But I also heard you say like, okay, so we just got a behaviorist and all that. Did that just like, usually it takes people a bit of time to figure out, okay, something's going on that is out of the ordinary or that mm. just just a little weirder than normal maybe i need help with this like how did that process go was that just very easy for you to say okay i need help let's go boom or woof. i think probably from my line of work anyway it was probably easier for me to come to the conclusion that i probably need a behaviorist um that and because in the uk to get a clinical animal behaviorist or veterinary behaviorist you have to be referred so because I'm a vet I just referred to myself um so it was a bit easier compared to like other things and I think I was again probably because I am a vet I was able to probably put two and two together that this was more of like a behavioral issue than like a training issue um and it, it was just kind of little things where I think myself and my partner we were both kind of like we didn't really know what we were doing and we didn't know whether what we were doing was the right thing for her um because like some stuff was kind of starting to escalate so initially it was just she really couldn't cope with people in the house like at all um and she was very very difficult to manage um because our house um, we live in an annex so it's like attached to our landlord's house um so it's not like the biggest space um it's probably big it's bigger than a flat but it's not like huge so we only really we it was kind of difficult to manage her in terms of space like if we had people over because it was either we shut her in another room or we just have to literally like manhandle her and not like let go of her for the entirety of the time that someone's in the house which isn't really great because like we're stressed and then like the person's obviously that's come over is a bit stressed and then she's stressed um but really kind of the tipping point for me I think was um so I went home for Christmas um and I took her with me um and we'd done a lot of work previously because my parents have a dog so 
we did a lot of work of um like introducing them and getting them to know each other and they were literally fine together in the house um because we'd left them together before and Christmas was just like I had family over that she'd never met before like she just found it way too stressful I had to basically sit in my bedroom with her for the entirety of like the four days that I was there um she had like a fight with my parents dog um it was just really stressful for like everyone um and it was kind of at that point where I was like no I need to get someone else to come in and just assess things and just help because I could see that like stuff was like starting to sort of snowball and get worse and Mm -hmm. I was kind of like I understood with these kind of things especially behaviorally that the quicker you kind of implement a plan to try and help things like the better um because a lot of the time like especially from work like I'll meet a lot of people who are kind of in that kind of crisis point sort of situation and then you really are stuck between kind of a rock and a harder place in terms of like what you do because they could have been having issues for months or years and then it kind of gets to a point where something happens and then they're like oh no I need help whereas it is a lot easier if you kind of not nip it in the bud because she was kind of getting worse but I guess not letting it get so bad that something awful has like happened I mean admittedly she did have a fight with my parents dog but it was fine like neither of them got hurt or anything like everyone was fine um but even like since then like they can't be in the house together now like at all they just don't tolerate each other but they'll they'll be outside together and they're fine but um I can't we can't like I can't get my parents to look after both of them now because they just don't get on in the house which is kind of sad but hey ho yeah so how do you how do you deal with that because on the one hand, you sound like very, very matter of fact, like, mm. okay, so I, I realized from my work, okay, this is mm-hmm. somewhere like something we have to address because otherwise mm. it's just going to get out of control. And I've seen too much of that. Um, but for example, going to your parents' place and not being able to have both the dogs there, that I think mm. this is an issue that a lot of people have, like they have their mm. dog and they kind of go like, okay, I would love to visit these people, but they're going to see my dog as um, like that extra hassle that they have to deal with when we come over or we're just going to, they have dogs, we have to keep them separate. So now we can't go over. Mm. Um, how is that? Is, is that impacting you or are you also very pragmatic on that? Um, point? I think it, it probably impacted me more like in the beginning when we had her. So she isn't a dog that we can just take everywhere with us. Like it, it's not fair on her. Like she gets really stressed. Um, in those situations and she does find them quite difficult so like we can't take her to cafes we can't take her to the pub we can't like take her easily to my parents house anymore and I think initially it was quite difficult because I I I wanted to take her to those places and then I guess it's that mind that kind of mindset shift of kind of being like yeah but why why do I want to take because she doesn't care whether she comes to a cafe or not thankfully she's absolutely fine with being left in the house on her own um so she doesn't have any like separation anxiety issues because I think that again if she did have that that would be like a completely different scenario and I think it would be a lot more challenging but I literally go she is far happier being left in the house on her own she just wants to go to sleep (laughs) um like 
it did take a little bit of time to kind of let go of that oh but I want to take her to these places because like it's I feel that it's nice but um realizing that you know what it's not actually the best thing for her um yeah it took a bit of time but that's kind of how I think about it now that and my parents have been um like really understanding about it they know that like it is a bit more challenging um for us to just kind of like come over I mean we do still take her over we just take them on walks and then um we like we go home or we have them in the house but for a very short amount of time to like try and build up the kind of positive experiences again um I mean they didn't they've been quite because I compare Piper to their dog Archie um quite a bit but like he's they've had him since a puppy and like they didn't really have I'm trying to think like they've not really had like any issues with him like whatsoever sort of behaviorally he's been like amazing so I think sometimes it's a little bit difficult to explain it to people that don't understand or like haven't had the experience of that um but thankfully they have been like really understanding with it so like they haven't yeah found it too difficult they kind of just get it but I do appreciate for a lot of people like it is actually really difficult um especially when you have some sort of like preconceived idea of what it's like to have a dog and then they end up having behavioral issues or whatever and then you kind of have to accommodate things to kind of fit around that and you have to say no to doing stuff and you can't just take them places like it is a lot like and it, it does get difficult and I think that a lot of people do find it quite isolating because you can't especially like I'm lucky I have Garen who's my partner um, and she's fine with being left in the house on her own but like I think for some people it can be quite isolating and it is difficult but thankfully everyone that is like in the immediate vicinity of kind of us um they're all really understanding and they're fine with kind of us having to occasionally say no to stuff or not stay as long because we have to get back for her um but yeah it's yeah it is difficult and it was difficult initially but I'm kind of more just sort of accepting it now I'm like oh, okay like she's fine we'll just we'll just leave in the house and she'll just go to sleep um we'll just go out without her like it's fine and you said also it was a bit easier because of your work mm. like is that something that that you were taught in vet school or is that because you've like just seen a lot of dogs you know yeah. pass by in your practice or like what what made that easier but specifically yeah um so it's not really taught like in vet school I mean where I studied so I studied at Bristol um they do have a veterinary behaviorist there um at their practice that people get referred to but um training and behavior um I don't know what's like with you it's not like a regulated thing so like anyone can call themselves a behaviorist or anyone can call themselves a dog trainer it's not like a protected profession I think it's just if you want to see um ones with particular accreditations which I understand from 
a veterinary point of view is you kind of have to have these specific certifications and then they're classed as like referral behaviorists or they're like properly accredited um that takes referral so if i mean i could just get in touch because that's what i did i just emailed the behaviorist i found um and i explained that i was a vet and explained that um you know like was it okay if i self-referred um because otherwise what i would have had to do is kind of go into work have her clinically assessed because you have to get a vet checked beforehand and then someone from work would have had to refer her to the behaviorist like for me um but thankfully um katie who i work with she was like oh no that's fine like you can just self-refer um but i think i don't know how i kind of know that i think it was it's probably just a kind of general you learn it from like colleagues that you work with and then it might be mentioned kind of vaguely in passing when you're at uni but it's not like properly like drilled into you like you see a dog it has a behavioral issue you have to like this is how you do it you just kind of yeah I think it's just sort of like it just sort of like sinks into your brain somehow from generic vet knowledge of like how stuff works that this stuff exists and that you can refer out so to say but are are they then um as they say I think in the U.S. they say vet behaviorists so that they're veterinarians who specialize in behavior or are they so to say trainers slash behaviorists who have a certain yeah behavior modification yeah sort so, of certificates or just how does that work like name so wise the so they're cabs which is a clinical animal behaviorist which means that you've done like a master's level degree or equivalent in um animal behavior so you you can specify so you could just do dogs or you could just do horses or you could just do cats but most people will just because a lot of behavior and learning is generic to most um species they're just animal behaviorists so they've basically got a master's degree um but they're not vets but if i went and did that same degree because i am already a vet i'm called a veterinary behaviorist so you can study that at a master's level in the UK? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I might have just found myself a new project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there'll be, um, I think there's, I know Edinburgh Uni definitely do one, and you can do the Edinburgh one online, so you don't have to go to Edinburgh Uni to do it. You can do it from, like, anywhere. Um And then I think some of the other universities in the UK offer specific master's degrees, or you can just do a level six diploma, which is the equivalent of doing a master's degree. And then, but you kind of have to, you do that online, but it's a lot more of like self-teaching and then obviously you pay to do that. So I'm looking into becoming a veterinary behaviorist. So because I can't afford to go and do a master's, um, I would do a level five diploma in veterinary in animal behavior. And then when I do that level five one for the next year, I would then do a level six one. And then when I qualify for the level six one, I would then register and then I'm a veterinary behaviorist. But it's like doing a master's, but without actually going back to uni. 
Got it. Um, <laughs> maybe. That's kind of a maybe. Really roundabout way. Yeah, because I mean, educational systems are so different throughout the world that sometimes mm. kind of you need a master's to, to understand how all the different masters and other systems yeah. work. Um, I just want to go back to to just also your profession for a second, mm. because, okay, now you've, you're working with a behaviorist, mm-hmm. w- like with Piper. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine that that impacts your work. Like when you see a dog come in, like, d- like, do you even recognize or do you see that there's behavior problems? Do you change your approach nowadays? Uh, does like, what's, what's different? I can't imagine that there's not anything that's different. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. It's changed like a lot. Um, so my generic knowledge up until getting piper of dog behavior and dog body language was like awful and i think that's probably the case for a lot of vets in the uk let alone like owners in the uk um so doing well getting a behaviorist and like helping her through piper through all of her stuff um taught me like a lot about general dog body language let alone like actual behavioral issues so I will see it daily multiple times like yeah dogs displaying certain sets of body language cues that they're just really uncomfortable and half the time like I would probably because if I didn't know that knowledge I would probably not even realize that they were necessarily feeling uncomfortable um and their owners certainly don't notice that they're feeling uncomfortable um because you will point it out to them and they like just are completely oblivious, which is fine because I'm kind of like, I don't necessarily expect the, like expect you to know that. Um, and like, that's okay. But also like, it does change how I consult. Um, so like where I work at the moment is generally quite, they, try and take as much of a sort of fear-free approach as possible um so we have like treats everywhere and like lick mats and like we try to do like stress everything out as like a little as possible um if we have dogs in that are very very um anxious or very like i don't know people aggressive or whatever um we have we call it the chill protocol. I don't know if that's just a generic thing that they call it or we've just labeled it that. Um, but it's basically just certain sets of medication that you give the animals before they come in to kind of chill them out a bit. Um, so we can either actually examine them, but also then they just build up like positive, more positive associations because they're not getting like really stressed out. But um, in my previous job, like we didn't do any of that. Um, and then yeah like having Piper has changed how I see a lot of that and how I interact with a lot of um kind of animals um I mean it also has helped me actually ask people um like what they want from me in terms of like me as a professional um if they have a very nervous animal because like I appreciate that a lot of animals hate coming to the vet. They don't like it. They don't want to be here. Um, 
And if you just want to come in and you just want me to vaccinate it and you want to leave, then that's fine. Like, that's all I'll do. I'm not going to stress your dog out or your cat out by trying to examine it if you don't want me to and you think that that's going to be detrimental um, to your animal's, like, mental well-being. Oh. Hi, Piper. <laughs> it is a dog podcast. Yeah. Oh, she's not I was pausing because I didn't know she's going to keep barking. Um, but yeah, like if examining your animal is going to stress it out and that's not in the best interest, then like, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I think there is this sort of idea that I I've had it from chatting to people at work or chatting to people on social media who have anxious animals or have reactive animals or animals with behavioral issues that really don't like coming to the vet. Um, and everyone wants to know how they can help their animals when they go to the vet because they realize that they don't like it and when you tell them all these things I'm like you do realize you can just tell people what you want like we want your animal to have the best experience it possibly can do we're meant to be working as a team like if you don't want a certain thing to happen or you do want a certain thing to happen as best as we can we'll like try and accommodate that and to an extent if your practice isn't willing to accommodate what you're asking for the mental well-being of your animal then I normally tell people to just find another vet because there'll be somewhere that does do the things that they're asking um, I think people don't realize that they can actually ask for a lot of stuff and we'll try and help them um, rather than we just shove your animal in a room like pin it to the floor and try and do everything that you want us to do not that I've ever done that but I have heard people have experiences where that happens um and then their animals get really stressed and then they then hate going to the vet in the future because they had that really horrible experience um but no she's taught me like so much like so much of the time I'm just like you know what I'm just not going to do this thing because it's not necessarily important and I can see that you don't like it so I'm just not going to and as long as you explain that to their owners like why you're not doing it most people are perfectly fine it's just the uh, communicating with people that actually their dog is really uncomfortable and it doesn't want me to do the thing that I'm trying to do um but yeah are they surprised often when you say that (laughs) yeah a lot of the time a lot of the time they are um I I think there's quite a fine line like there are animals that are completely like 100% fine um in the vets and like yeah that's fine then you have the kind of the other end of that is the dogs that really don't like being in the vet the owners are very aware that they don't like being in the vet um we have very long discussions before they come in um they try and limit kind of visits as much as possible it's more sort of the people that are kind of like in the middle um where they they there are some cases where I think they're aware that their dog's quite anxious or fearful um, and they just kind of choose to ignore it. And it's that kind of like mentality of like, oh, just like kind of suck it up. Like this thing is happening. We're just going to do this um, mentality. Or you do get the people that are just completely oblivious to the fact that their animal is absolutely terrified. And then when you tell them, they are generally quite surprised. Um, 
but usually that just means that I'm going to change how I'm going to interact with them and then it actually becomes a more positive experience and then the owner's like oh that's like way easier than the last five times that I've been here when no one has told me that um but yeah I remember seeing I can't remember what it was a poodle cross and it was like terror pride it was like trying to hide behind the owner it was like so scared and I think the owner like noted that the dog was nervous but also just like totally not really interested in the fact that it was nervous (laughs) and I was like okay like it's here for like a post-op check and a vaccine so I'm just gonna vaccinate it and give it food and that that's it I'm not gonna like stress because I couldn't touch I couldn't really touch the dog like it was so scared and I was like just have this lick mat with food on it and you can eat that and I'll just give you a vaccine and that's it because like you're terrified like you're so scared um and yeah the owner was just kind of like aware that it was scared because it was literally running around the room trying to get away from me but also like then not really kind of acknowledging the fact that it was running around the room like trying to get away from me and I was like okay we either need to hold your dog still or we need to like so I can actually you know it's not just panicking running around the room um but we need to change what we're doing um but yeah some people are just completely oblivious and I think it is because yeah again I mean I went to vet school for five years and I didn't get taught anything on dog body language um so the general public's perception of certain things especially dog body language related is really bad Although saying that I have heard plenty of vets say, oh, but their tail's wagging, they're happy. And I'm just like, no, they're not. They're not. (laughs) I I don't think most people are aware that this is not part of vet school. Mm. I think we somehow assume that the vets know all of that stuff. Mm. So I think it's actually pretty good to hear that that's maybe not always the case. Yeah. And I hope that it is changing. I mean, I've been out of vet school for two years, so hopefully that's changing. I don't know because I don't know anyone who's in there. Um, But I would hope that it's changing um, because it is so important and it makes like such a huge difference to like one, the relationship that we have with our patients and the relationship that we have with our clients. But also like if you're aware that that you need to change how you're behaving um, to help a dog feel more comfortable. You're going to be able to do more than you could do if you didn't change. So therefore you're going to get more information and be able to help better. Um, But yeah, like, yeah, I think that people just think that because you've been to vet school, you just automatically know like everything about animals. And I'm just like, I really don't. There's so much stuff that I don't know. Um, but I also yeah. imagine that there's the problem of balancing how much time you can spend on an animal with, you know, like the ideal situation in which you make mm. the animal feel comfortable first. And you like, there's always that tension between, you know, like, and time is money, obviously. And I'm guessing mm. that vets just also need to see as many patients as possible in a day. So how do you, how do you balance that? Or do, do you get to take more time or do, is, is there, how does that um, work? I think like in the new place that I work um it is easier to block off so I work for like an independent practice so my boss owns the practice and she's the only other vet there 
and then obviously we have like all our nurses and stuff um so if i know that an animal is going to be particularly anxious or difficult to examine i have the scope to be like you know what i'm going to block it off a half an hour appointment because it's going to be better for everyone involved or we'll block we'll book it at a certain time so that it's like before a break or something so um or at a quieter time or something um so it's generally easier to kind of do everything that you need to do without rushing however the previous place that I worked was um owned by a corporate company um and it was very much um so I would consult from half past eight into seven and I'd get like an hour break for lunch and then there'd just be 50 minute consults like back to back so if you had a patient that was particularly anxious or difficult to examine it you would just get behind like if you had to try and do stuff because also there was kind of and I think it was exacerbated slightly by COVID and pandemic and all that kind of stuff um if animals are coming in for certain things, there is an expectation from some people that those things just get done in that appointment. So a lot of people would get annoyed at you for suggesting, you know, like, oh, your dog needs a blood sample, but it's absolutely losing its mind. Probably not a good idea to take its blood sample um, unless it was like an emergency. Um, most people would get quite annoyed at you for like not being able to take the blood sample on their dog that was like trying to bite you or thrashing around everywhere and they would get annoyed at you suggesting that they come back um so it was it was sort of a like there and yeah there is that fine balance between sometimes you just kind of have to do sort of the lesser of the two evils and like I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to try and do it in the best way I possibly can without absolutely freaking your cat or your dog out um Whereas, yeah, this whole idea of sometimes it's just sometimes stuff just needs to get done. Yeah, it's going to it's be uncomfortable. Kind of like, Let's get it over with as quickly yeah, as possible. Exactly. It's kind of like causing what's it? It's like causing the least harm possible. Like in a situation, if I have to physically do something, then yeah, I'm not just gonna like faff around and not do it. Um, but I'm gonna try and do it in a way that's like gonna cause like the least amount of stress if I can do um yeah it is difficult but in my new place it's a little bit easier to fiddle with like diary timings and that kind of thing whereas where I used to work previously like I didn't really have the capability to sort of do that unless everyone knew that I'd know the dog was very aggressive or would really like struggle and then they would book it like half an hour but you would sometimes get told off from management for doing that. And I'd be like, but it needs to be half an hour because I don't want to get bitten by the dog. Here's a question. Have you ever gotten bitten by a dog? I just, I'm just curious. Um, I, uh, well, I, until last week, I would have said, no, I've actually never been bitten. Um, I got bitten last week, but it was a dog. It was a dog that was coming around from anesthesia. So it just like, it just freaked out because it didn't know what was going on or where it was. Like it didn't mean to bite me. Um, I've never actually been like, bitten bitten i've seen i've had owners get bitten um normally because i've suggested muzzling dog because i think it's going to bite someone and then they've refused and then the dog's bitten them um but thankfully it's always been like little dogs so they haven't like 
done too much damage and they've not really like bitten badly they've just sort of like mouthed the owner um but yeah it is difficult because it is again it's that situation of like if you get bitten it's my fault because like i'm in i'm in charge of the situation kind of thing um so yeah if an owner got really badly bitten by their dog under my supervision it's technically my fault um but that's never happened but that's kind of how it works from a health and safety like legal kind of point of view Hmm. but yeah i think the only person that's ever got bitten was a lady that had a little chihuahua and i asked her to muzzle the dog and she tried to put the muzzle on a bitter so i was like oh okay (laughs) too Um, too yeah um but that was after like five minutes of me trying to convince the woman to put the muzzle on the dog because every time i tried to go near it it tried to bite me um i was like well, I do need to, that was another situation where I was like, I do actually need to do the thing that you're wanting me to do. So we're, we're going to try and do it in this way to, you know, keep everyone safe. Because some dogs you do, you put muscles on them and then they just like chill out. It's really weird. Um, but again, oh, that's another thing. Like the preconceived idea that like muscles are bad is just like one of my pet peeves as a person that has a dog with behavioral issues and also a vet. Um, like, have I ever had to muzzle her? No, I don't think I have. But I've still taught her how to wear one because I'm like, it's important. I think it is an important skill. Um, and I do generally tell everyone that I need. I'm like, muzzle train your dog. It's a really important skill, even if you never have to use it. Um, but yeah, that's like my pet peeve. It's because, yeah, like people would just automatically think that she's like a bad dog or whatever because she's wearing one. I'm like, you know, she could literally just be wearing one because she eats rubbish off the ground, which she yeah. does do. Um and every it always happens i'm like stop eating rubbish off the ground and then i'm like should probably just nuzzle you but it happens like so randomly that i'm like ah, i should be fine and yeah, yeah. she goes and steals what did she do the other day oh she stole a sausage roll off the off a lady <laughs> i was like oh my god i'm so sorry well it wasn't me it was my partner it was with the dog but uh, with piper but um she went over to someone's pram and stole a sausage roll, <laughs> roll out of it and then ate it and we were like oh my god we're so sorry <laughs> She had a good day for sure. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that was self-rewarding behavior. <laughs> yeah. So now, because now every time I see people with prams, if she's off lead, I have to put her back on the lead because I'm like, I know you're just going to go over to this pram and try and find food. So we're just going to put you on the lead just in case. Yeah, pram equals sausage. That link was made yeah. like very quickly. But yeah. Um, yeah, from a veterinary point of view, having her has changed my perspective of stuff like, massively that and at the moment there's a massive shortage of behaviorists anyway i guess it's like well there's a shortage of vets there's also a shortage of behaviorists um in the uk for whatever reason i'm assuming because it's not a particularly popular um choice of speciality um that and we have an issue with getting vets at the moment anyway like we're all really short-staffed um because Brexit. So why do you think it's not a popular speciality? Because I mean, to me, it actually okay. Maybe also because I have a challenging dog, so mm. I've I've had to go down the rabbit hole. And I actually, you know, the more I learn about behavior, the more I learn about body language, the more fascinated I am, and the more I kind of go like, oh, there's so much I don't know yet. Like I could study this forever. Um, I'm just wondering why not? Is it? I don't know. Is it like? 
is there a mental health stigma for dogs too in the veterinary world or what's going on there? Um, I think it's either just, it's not like, when I talk to people who want to specialize in stuff, they want to do something that they're viewing as like exciting. So everyone wants to be like a cardiologist or an orthopedic surgeon or a soft tissue surgeon or a neurologist, like stuff that the kind of sound like sounds a bit more flashy than like I do behavior. Um, I think they're probably, well, there is a big stigma in terms of, yeah, like dog, well, people, mental health, let alone like dog mental health. Um, and I think that behavior is kind of either not viewed as something that is like an exciting thing to like specialize in, or people just don't realize that it is something that they can go and specialize in. Um, or they just think it's kind of not pseudoscience because obviously like dog behavior is usually science-based. Um, I think they just think of it as like a lesser thing to like do with their degree. Um, because some vets like having you know ooh, flashing their ego around that they're a vet and they're a specialist and all this kind of thing um i think there just is a stigma that yeah because of dog mental health or dog behavior or whatever that it's not like a proper speciality so then people don't think about doing it okay um, nasty question if you had a hat piper what mm-hmm. would your speciality be or have um, been so yeah if i didn't have piper i was wanting to go into clinical pathology um so again i would have an internship and then a residency and then i would have worked in a lab basically um so like when you send stuff off like blood work off and it comes back like the person who writes the report is a pathologist um or you would look at like tissue samples and then like send them back and tell people whether it's like cancer or whatever um but hang on that's like two like extremes like the one extreme is like i almost want to say zero contact with Mm, the client where you just write a report and i cannot imagine anything else than when you go into behavior that it's like all people yeah all people Mm. i think it was like i did have quite like a through uni like i quite liked pathology anyway um so the other branch of pathology is anatomical pathology so that's like doing post-mortems um is yeah what I kind of consider doing like quite heavily like my uh elective for final year was in pathology um I did loads of work in labs um so yeah I was quite like yeah like I really like I was really interested in it um and I think that I struggled a lot in my first year of graduating like I struggled a lot in practice and I just wanted to get as far away as I could from having to deal with people because I was like I don't like it like too difficult I just want boring not boring but like routine nine to five no out of hours like (laughs) that kind of thing especially because I had it as a goal from maybe like midway through uni um and again it's kind of that whole like was it you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. So, so then yeah I got I got Piper and then started going down all that behavior stuff. And again, like you, I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And then the more you read, the more you read, and then the more you learn. And then you're like, oh, this is actually like super, super interesting. Um, and I realized as well, um, yeah, a lot of it is so heavily, um, 
like relationship based and support based with the people that own the dog and I actually realized that I quite like that um I just sorry another question pops up because when people come into your practice right mm -hmm. and you see this um kind of that there's a gap in knowledge for the Mm -hmm the dog guardian that they're like, okay, they're not seeing that their animal is frustrated or afraid or whatnot. How do you decide how to say something or whether to say something or because mm. I, I would probably be like, Oh, I just, I, I want to explain all the things to you right now. Can't you see <laughs> yeah. it? But that's probably a, you don't have the time beats probably yeah. kind of productive. So like, how, how do you go um, about that? <laughs> some of it is kind of like, sometimes people will generally mention things in passing um so british people are quite good at like not deciding to tell you that there's actually an issue with something they'll just vaguely mention it in passing and hope that you pick up on it um so sometimes they will kind of like drop hints that there might be something and kind of want you to ask about it they just don't want to necessarily like tell you for whatever reason um a lot of the time it is probably like the whole like the adolescent dog that I'm seeing um either a lot of them are very very anxious and very fearful and it's very clear to the owner that that is also an issue um and I'll just I tend to just ask them so I will ask them normally oh like I'm noticing that your dog is quite anxious are they like this everywhere or is it just here and then some people will say oh no yeah they're like awful everywhere like I can't take them anywhere new and it's terrible and all this kind of stuff and it just sort of like the floodgates kind of like open in terms of information um other times people will just say no it is literally just here and then it tends to be more of a conversation about maybe ways in which we can make them feel a bit more kind of comfortable um and then yeah it it is usually that um some people again they'll react to like other dogs in the waiting room and that kind of stuff normally something happens and then I'll ask them about it um and it's either just very general kind of advice um or I'll signpost them to like other places to get information um again it kind of depends on how um on it or willing the owner seems to like engage with that because there's quite a split so some people seem very like very willing to kind of take in that information and try and help the dog and like change things other people are like no my dog is just like this they're always going to be like this they're never going to change and then you just get shut down and that's like a conversation that we don't have um but it does tend to be like the people that don't come in for specific behavioral related things um it's usually routine stuff that they're here for so vaccines or like general health checks and stuff where either you pick up on it from how they're behaving and then I just generally will float the kind of question past them um or they'll mention it um something related to behavior um and then usually because I have Piper it's usually easier to explain things to them because I have her like they're kind of like oh you get what it's like because you also have a dog that has issues whereas like my colleague she doesn't she has a parrot um she doesn't like she says she finds it harder to have those conversations with people because she doesn't have anything 
to relate to like what they're going through so as soon as you tell someone oh yeah like my dog was like this and she had these issues and now we're at this place they're kind of like oh it is possible to change stuff like if they want to um I think it's just trying to get them get the ball rolling with where they they feel comfortable enough to open up basically on the, yeah, on the topic. whether they feel comfortable to open up about it and then if they do get them to feel like because it's scary like I'm not gonna lie like you're kind of like oh like will they ever change are they always just like this and some people just are like no I'm happy managing my dog the way it is like they can kind of cope with that um it's kind of like the little kind of push to be like if you want to change stuff like we're gonna we'll help you and you work together like as a team and like own a vet and behaviorist um another question though because that 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 would seem like really on the behavior side of things mm. but you know, when it comes to behavior, the first thing you will hear any behaviorist or, or trainer always say is like vet check, vet check, mm-hmm. vet check. So do you often see or, or a, a relationship between pain or something going on and behavior? Um, yeah. So I think that, well, I know a lot of the stats that either the APBC, which are the main um like animal behaviorist kind of accreditation people in the UK um, put out, I think it's something like, it was either 60 or 80%, like it was quite a high amount of behavioral cases that their behaviorists see that is an element of pain associated with the behavior. Um, it's really high, like it's really, really, really high. Um, but a lot of the time, especially if the animal is living with an element of chronic pain, I can't pick it up like I'm not going to be because they're so good at hiding it if an animal is coming in for an assessment before um like behavioral referral I normally have to say like explain that there could be pain related even if nothing immediate like flags up um especially because they don't they don't behave the same as they do when they're at home um I normally have to say for me to be able to fully rule it out, you just have to do a pain relief trial. Um, that's the only way I can sometimes say a hundred percent whether or not this animal has experienced a level of pain to some degree that could be causing or exacerbating the What's a pain relief trial? Issues. So they're either gonna have to well, they're gonna have to go on certain types of pain med i guess normally metacam so normally just non-steroidal anti-inflammatory so i guess it's like us going on ibuprofen just gonna say please never give your drug ibuprofen it's really toxic don't do that um got it noted (laughs) um so they'd have to go on a pain relief trial but minimum four to six weeks um if you notice absolutely no change in their behavior at all you can probably rule out that there isn't an underlying element of pain if you're seeing a marginal improvement in some aspect of their behavior, you would say that there is an element of pain somewhere. And then I guess it's either whether you investigate that further or you just have to keep them on the pain relief then longer term while they also do their behavioral modification stuff. Um, The other things we have to look into are 
So common things I see in dogs that have behavioral issues are either they have like chronic like allergies or skin issues or gut issues or they have like really chronic diarrhea or they vomit a lot um like that kind of thing um so it is difficult because it is kind of a you can't just decide to investigate everything that could potentially be an issue because that's like gonna cost a lot of money um so normally it is just kind of trying to be like i don't know if your dog has a history of chronic diarrhea and it also has behavioral issues you could say that hmm the chronic diarrhea may be having an impact on the dog's behavior it's probably not 100 percent causing its behavioral issue but it could be having like an exacerbating factor we should probably like investigate that anyway and even if it doesn't come to anything you kind of just sort of have to like do the little tick box of ruling it out as kind of an issue um yeah, the usual suspects get ticked off first. Yeah, so exactly. Say. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, pain relief, allergies, skin, gut health. Um yeah. They're usually the ones that we're kind of initially attempting to kind of tick That's off as not sixty to eighty percent. That's yeah, it's mad. It's oh. it's a lot. Um yeah, I I'm think just, could... just my mind's just blown right now. I mean, I my dog my dog, Rusty, he's got pain issues, chronic pain mm-hmm. issues. And that I, that only came up like, or we're only really now that we're working on them, seeing that they were really impacting his behavior. It's not like we've now found like some kind of magic mm. potion that, and that he's now no longer ever reactive or any of yeah. that stuff. But we do see that when there's less pain or, or less, uh, I almost want to say like an annoyedness mm. <laughs> that, he's much or like his threshold for reacting to something is much higher you know like there's not he can cope with more he can deal with more before you know the cup overflows Mm. i think yeah and when you kind of explain that to people they do i think it's quite an easy thing for people to understand because it's like imagine if you've got a headache or you've i don't know got a sore ankle or you've got an upset stomach or something you you don't feel great you're generally going to be more irritable and like less able to cope with stuff because your head hurts or you've got a really upset stomach or you just feel really bad um and I think when you explain it like that people do kind of it's that kind of like oh yeah that kind of makes sense sort of yeah moment so I I I still want to know a little bit more about Piper but I also wanted to ask you like as a vet what Mm. would you like dog guardians especially those who have like dogs with behavioral issues what would you like them to know um i guess probably one of i guess yeah the first thing is if you you're noticing any like significant changes or sudden changes in your dog's behavior like actually taking them to the vet is probably the most important kind of first step because yeah like we said um so much behavior stuff is actually um related to clinical things that are kind of going on or at least exacerbating stuff. Um, and then I guess the other thing is knowing that like stuff can get better and it, it will get better. You just kind of have to find the right person to sort of help you. And if you've, you're going through it, someone else has probably also gone through it and is also making progress. Cause I think that there is that 
fear that oh my god like there's something wrong with my dog or like they're bad or whatever um whereas yeah if you're going through it there's probably five ten other people more than that that are going through or have been through a similar thing and it is possible to kind of get through the other side of it it's just easier to address if you flag it up sooner because I think sometimes there is that little bit of sort of I guess shame or guilt that like maybe you've done it and that's why your dog's that way most of the time it's not your fault like and even if it was like it doesn't matter um we're still going to help you and like work together to yeah try and get your dog feeling not terrified of everything or frustrated by everything or whatever like I think yeah the earlier you mention these things often the better um and if you have a good vet then they'll be able to either signpost you to stuff that's going to help or offer you referral um or just yeah chat about stuff with you because having a support network is like super useful before going to back to Piper I just have one follow-up question on this because you said if you have a good vet what Mm. how would people recognize a good vet in your book like how do you how to recognize a good vet vet. the ABCs Um, of I mean generally I think that especially in behavior like someone that actually is going to bother to listen to you because I know that like sometimes you don't want to mention behavioral stuff because you feel like it's not like a proper issue in all air quotes even though it is um if you've got a good vet and a vet that cares about your dog's mental well-being and their behavior and that sort of thing they won't just like dismiss the fact that your dog's got a behavioral issue um I guess that's kind of the biggest sort of red flag in terms of like veterinary um I would take any necessary kind of behavioral advice that a vet gives you with like a pinch of salt, unless they say I have a particular interest in veterinary in dog behavior. So I will always caveat that to people. I will say I have an interest in behavior because of Piper. I'm not a behaviorist, but this is kind of what we did. Um, Yeah. So any, any behavioral advice you get from a vet, unless they caveat it with the fact that they have an interest in behavior, I would take with a pinch of salt, even if it's correct. Um, and yeah, just people that are willing to listen to you and not dismiss that your dog's anxious or barking at people or they're kind of, yeah, going to signpost you to stuff. I think as soon as you start getting dismissed, if you flag stuff up to people, that's kind of when the little alarm bells in my head would go that, maybe you should chat to someone else not even the different practice even if you just chat to a different vet in that same practice um because everyone thinks slightly differently about different things um but yeah i would say if you mention something and they just dismiss you or give you like really odd advice um then i would probably say get a second opinion because at the end of the day i'm always going to trust an owner on their gut reaction with how they're viewing their dog's behavior um, because they're with that animal like all the time. Um, But yeah, basically if you get dismissed, then maybe think about chatting to somebody else. (laughs) Finding someone else. Got it. I think that's pretty excellent and very clear advice. That's something people can actually act on. Um, Just um, 
because I, I I just wanted to dive in on all of this because it's not very often that you know I get a chance to talk to someone who's and a vet yeah. and has a um a challenging dog. Let's put it mm. that way. Although I like I said, label <laughs> always a bit iffy. Um, what do you feel is like the biggest leap that you you and Piper have made, and what would you attribute it to? Um, I think that's um I think probably the biggest thing we've noticed is like her ability to cope in like social situations like outside of the house so she was very she would learn like we'd have to like cross the street or avoid people or like give her quite a lot of space um in terms of like walking down the street or being like in busy environments that kind of stuff um she's made like huge leaps with that um so like she's not lunging and barking at people anymore when we go outside um and in part that's one just the whole like working under her threshold with kind of repeated exposure and positive reinforcement and we've done a lot of um clicker training with her um when we're kind of out and about so I guess the one thing that we've done recently that I we just kind of did it and everything was fine and I realized that even like two months ago like she wouldn't have coped with that like at all and she probably would have reacted at a million people um was we literally stood in a queue like she can't she really struggles with staying still and having people move around her and be quite close to her like she really struggles with that in general and we like oh yeah we just queued up for a thing and she was like she coped and she didn't like <laughs> lose her mind um I mean again from knowing stuff about dog body language I can look at her and I'd be like you're not necessarily relaxed in the situation but you're able to like cope with it in a way that means that like you're not barking and lunging at people you're kind of just a little bit stressed but you're sort of dealing with it in a way that's okay so would you say that the staying under threshold was the major thing? Like just keeping that distance all the time and just working with like off of her cues of when she was ready? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think as well from kind of a like having um, our behavior. So she kind of, we had kind of a plan from her in terms of how to do certain things, but also even silly things like, okay she's reacting at something this is what you do like just knowing what to do in certain situations and how to best manage her um was just yeah really important um so to sort of have a strategy for when yeah you know you are over that threshold and it's like because we noticed as well that even when she did react to stuff she would recover faster than she would like before we kind of even did the behavioral modification stuff so even if yeah okay we made a bit of a mistake and for whatever reason she's gone over threshold she's barking at someone or lunging or whatever um she would be able to recover from that situation a lot quicker than she used to um so what what would have been one of the strategies to to deal with that like if she we have total meltdown here meltdown, meltdown, and then what um (laughs) It would, to be fair, a lot of it was generally giving her, um, 
<laughs> space um, was the main thing. So normally it would just be there's a thing that is too close to her um, and she wasn't like dealing with that very well. It just sort of like came in her little space bubble and she was like, no, I'm not okay with that. So usually it was um, giving her distance, but then also um, scatter scatter feeding or like getting her to like sniff stuff is like very big for her. Um, so another thing in our behavioral plan was we started um, scent training her. So we took her to scent training classes um, and that helped a lot with her general kind of like, I guess her mental well-being because it was like a thing that she wanted to do. I guess it's a breed specific need. Um, so she did that and she really enjoys doing it and we do it kind of versions of scent training probably daily or at least like scent related games and stuff with her um was a lot of the management as well so yeah a lot of scat feeding a lot of um kind of throwing treats on the floor for her to find um but mainly the main thing was space for her is just moving her away from stuff that she finds triggering because that's normally why she'd be reacting is just the thing that she finds scary has got too close to her um the other thing i'm really bad at um because i have quite bad social anxiety i'm really bad at talking to people that i don't know um so i and yet here she is on the podcast and, you and know she is. um like a lot of it would be so like garen finds it a lot easier like if someone's approaching and she's barking at them and they're doing a thing that's triggering her he's able to tell them you'd like she's doing she's barking at you because you're doing this thing do you mind like moving away yeah, or not staring at her like that kind of thing I would like I can't do that I find that really difficult to do there was one time that I've done it um and that was mainly because this man kept staring at her and I was like she was barking at him and he was walking directly towards us even though we're in the middle of a field um and I had moved her to the side and he kept staring at her and I literally did have to say to him if you stop staring she'll stop barking at you and then he was like oh okay and he moved away and stopped staring at her um but I find that quite difficult um but yeah I just really struggle with talking to people whereas Garen will be like hey do you mind just giving us some space or moving over there or stop staring at her or um that kind of thing to be fair normally it is people that are moving on or we're moving away from them anyway so I don't tend to because you can get away with it. Get away with it, yeah. Um, again, she's a. Uh, I don't. Know, she's not even that big. She's only like twenty-two kilos. She's just got big dog bark. Um, but yeah, to be fair, it's not too bad. Um, and most people were able to tell them because a lot of people will want to come up to her and like say hello and stuff. Um, and that's normally when like we do just say like, oh, like if you wait there and we'll come to you. Like she's nervous or she's anxious of like new people she's generally okay if she walks to the person she doesn't like it if the person like walks up to her um but yeah it's mainly just working under threshold creating space getting her to sniff stuff because she likes doing that um clicker training is amazing i love it it's great (laughs) uh and i think yeah i don't know the whole moving away and management and that kind of thing 
I think this is not really related to me being a vet, but this is just me assimilating stuff from the joys of behavioral social media. Um, is a lot of people view it as like, oh, you're just hiding and you're just avoiding everything. And I'm like, well, you're not really because there's going to be a bit at the beginning of your behavioral journey where you have to try and limit your exposure to triggers as much as possible to let the dog's stress levels and everything go down, go down so that then they're in a better place to learn. You can't just shove your dog over the threshold all the time and then expect it to, you know, just suddenly, (laughs) suddenly stop freaking out at the stuff that it's freaking out about. And I think there is just this kind of, I don't know, weird idea that suddenly that means you're just hiding and avoiding everything. And I'm like, well, you're not really, you just have to go through that for a little bit of time to allow your dog to calm down a bit. And then you can start doing your behavioral modification stuff. You can't do your behavioral modification stuff if your dog is like chronically stressed because it's not going to be able to learn. And I think that's, that's so interesting because I always like, as, as a life coach, I'm always talking about like the stories we make up about the circumstances. Mm. And if you're, if you're looking at your dog as like, oh, we're hiding from the world. Then uh, speaking of triggers, like that Mm -hmm. triggers this feeling of like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Mm. Whereas this whole idea or, or story, I should say of like, we're hiding from the world is just uh, you know, a story, you can just look at it completely differently too. When you look at it as no, we're allowing the dog's stress levels to, um, to come down mm. completely different story, completely different feeling. And the way you show up is, mm. you know, like a one, a one eighty, basically. Mm. Yeah. It's Stuff that's going through my mind. <laughs> it's the same with kind of, I don't know, people who will say, Oh, my dog is stubborn or, I'm trying to yes. think of other words that are like, I hate it. I hate it. I really don't like it when people say that. Or what else? I don't know. Like, We're dogs- super social. Can be the same thing. My yeah. dog loves everyone. Like, yeah. It doesn't really. Or like, I don't know, your dog's doing something to like spite you or it's, I don't know, respect and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, you know, they're all human concepts that you're just putting on your dog. Your dog doesn't have a concept of any of those words that you've just said. That and dogs are dog selective anyway. That we know. That we know of. of. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah it kind of annoys me when people say that I'm like mm, they probably just don't want to do the thing because either they don't understand or you're not being clear or there's something else they're not yeah they're not just going to be like ha my owner's asking me to do this thing I'm just not going to do it because I don't feel like it like this generally exactly and when really you look at it works. differently <laughs> You know, when you don't assume that they don't want to do it, but you just mm-hmm. get very curious about like, hey, yeah, exactly. I cued this and now this is happening or this is not happening. Mm-hmm. What could be like the yeah, correlation? Exactly. Is there a correlation? Yeah. Even? It's like Piper just them. barking. Normally I'm like, you're probably barking to tell me something. What are you trying to tell me? Instead of just getting annoyed that she's barking. Yeah. Although sometimes barking just gets to you. Like, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it just gets to me. Yeah, and then I tell myself, t- you know. That's Normally okay when I'm tired, I'm oh, just like, please just stop. We have loads of foxes around here at the moment and they keep screaming like at night. Piper doesn't like foxes. She really, really, really hates foxes. So we've had a lot of barking at night to tell us that there are foxes. And I'm like, Piper, I know I can hear them screaming. <laughs> you don't need to bark yeah. to tell me I can hear them. 
I think this is actually a cute note to end on, but of course mm. we're not really ending because mm-hmm. I always ask everyone to comment on the same three words when it comes to mm-hmm. life with their dog, their expectation, mm-hmm. frustration, and celebration. So mm. when you think of that, yeah. what comes up for you? Um, I guess, I guess expectation probably, I guess, yeah, going back to kind of what I said before, like probably my expectation of having a dog, even though she's a rescue dog and I know that she's probably going to have behavioral issues anyway, probably our expectation of how to deal with her and what isn't, isn't appropriate for her changed a lot. Um, and yeah, kind of that whole expectation of, yeah, I'm just going to like take her everywhere wasn't really kind of appropriate for her um but also like training and behavioral expectations and kind of breaking everything down into sort of little manageable things um was kind of good even if you just have like I don't know I'm gonna go on this walk and I have like this one tiny like a teeny weeny goal or expectation for the walk and then you do it and then you feel good um is kind of how I looked a lot at her training or sometimes I would just completely throw all of my expectations out the window um and just be like we're just going to go and do this thing and see how it goes because I feel less anxious and stressed if I have less expectations of myself and the dog um frustration I think god yeah over the past year there's been a lot of frustration and normally I will recognize that I get frustrated when I'm tired um it's usually why I get frustrated to Piper for like silly things like I don't know pulling or sniffing stuff when I want to go home um and I think you're gonna work better if you notice when you're getting frustrated and why you're getting frustrated because half the time when you really think about it it doesn't matter or you're just like, I'm just tired or I'm hungry or I really want to drink. Um, like that's probably a lot of, yeah, the frustration that I've noticed in myself is normally when I'm tired because you will get frustrated when you have a dog that has behavioral issues because you want what's best for them and you just want them to stop being anxious and doing the thing that is stressing them out and it's frustrating but it gets less frustrating. <laughs> um and then celebration um I mean this entire weekend to be fair has been a massive like little celebration for Piper considering we had someone stay over in our house for the weekend and she was apart from like two times where she was a bit like "Hmm, what are you doing um she coped amazingly well and we're all like super amazed at her. and it makes me feel all warm and like mm, inside <laughs> inside I'm like woo go Piper um, even though she's just kind of like I have no concept I don't understand why you're like being all cute and smooshy in my face um, about someone being in the house but yeah she coped like so well um, and it felt like probably when we started back in February that we would never get to this point but it's possible um, so yeah that's kind of our little a little win of the week um even though it's i just realized it's monday win of last week um <laughs> win of the weekend <laughs> win of the weekend um 
but yeah and I think as well celebration it's the whole like taking the little wins because I think that especially with behavioral modification and having a dog that has behavioral issues it's always like your end goal is kind of I just don't want my dog to do the thing that it's doing and then you kind of forget about all the little wins in the meantime so celebrate your little wins it's important and it it makes it it makes everything just feel better even if it's silly stuff like I don't know my dog saw a dog on the other side of this field and it didn't react like that's amazing if your dog always reacts to other dogs in fields or whatever like yeah Take I was gonna say thing. that's not a silly thing. That's like no. I was like, take like you know, like sometimes you're kind of like, oh, my dog should should just be able to do this because it's a dog. Um, nah, definitely like celebrate your little wins because it's important, especially when sometimes end goals feel very far away. Yeah, celebrate the little things. I love that, um, Grace. Really, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast right. for spending all this time. Um, if people want to find out more about you mm-hmm. and Piper, yes. where can they find you? I now have to go on my phone and look at Piper's little Instagram handle because I can't remember what it is. It's Piper something, something, something. <laughs> it's Piper and then an underscore the sleepy bean because that's what I call her when she's asleep because she has a lot of sleeping. Um, but yeah, Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Um, I'm also in Bristol. So if you're generically in Bristol, you may see me around. Um, I'm not on my practice website, so I can't give you that. But yeah, generally Instagram, if you want to chat, that's probably the best place. Um, okay. Just be Got nice it. to me. <laughs> we are going to link to that. So if you're like, yeah. where does the underscore go? Where does the sleepy bean go? Does it start with that or end with that? Don't worry, people. Go to the show notes. I will link to it and you will be able to find Grace and Piper there. Cool. Thank you once again. Yeah, that's great. It was very nice talking to you. You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least, if you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on, because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone.